Welcome to Temporary Admission. This week we're jumping right back into our artist spotlights and today we're going to be chatting with Swedish-Chilean artist Anton Alvarez. Over the next 20 minutes or so we'll discuss everything from Anton's practice, using large self-made machines to create his iconic sculptures right through to his recent installation at 100 Bishopsgate here in London. Now Anton, ever since I've had the opportunity to stop by your public studio I've been itching to get you on the pod but perhaps Maybe the best place to start is if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and how it is you create your works, because they're not just your usual sculptures, are they? Yes, my name is Anton Alvarez, and I am an artist, maybe sometimes even an engineer. My practice has been uh, circling around the fact that I make my machines, which help of the machines I create sculptures and uh, sculptural objects. Yeah, that's what I've been doing the last years since I graduated from the Royal College of Art and I've been going on to this path of uh, combining my engineering and artistic practice. I think it's that bridge between being an artist and engineer that's particularly interesting and you referenced the word machine there which I'm sure we'll touch on in a little bit but would you say that I guess your practice has changed since leaving the Royal College of Art or have you always had a focus on, you know, large sculptural installations? I think at the RCA, somehow, my different uh, backgrounds or my different paths in life and study came together somehow. It was the craft, it was uh, the design, it was the architecture studies, and all of those were combined, in, at that point at least, into one machine, the thread wrapping machine. That was the, the combination of all of those different uh, aspects of my of my past basically and that was the start of this journey of investigating uh, what could be done with help of a machine how far an exploration could be done in a certain way and with the help of that machine i somehow also created my own craft my own universe in where i could operate so rather than kind of joining into uh, existing kind of universe or existing context i want to create my own and that's also something that's been kind of leading me ever since of trying to reinvent myself and reinvent the world itself and the different tools that i'm working with because if i have a new tool that doesn't exist just from the very beginning when i start operating that tool i will hopefully create something that never have been seen before and which is uh, the excitement for myself in my work that I want to somehow surprise myself and then hopefully also surprise the audience the viewers of what I'm what I'm doing what I'm doing in the studio or sometimes also as in many cases when I bring my tools and devices into the exhibition space and work on site creating different type of installation uh, from smaller scale up to architectural installations. Yeah, I think that's what maybe surprised me a little bit when I came by the studio in, in that just how much it looked like a building site, if you will. I remember that you had these huge kind of machines in, and in this case it was the clay press, which looked more like the tools you'd have on a construction site, I guess, than a studio. And perhaps that was naive in my part in kind of not thinking through the machines that would be required to create such large sculptures. But 
definitely wasn't what I was expecting. And I'd be interested to know a little bit more about how you found bridging that gap between being an artist and an engineer at the same time, because it can't have been an easy transition, I guess, or or the skills required, I guess, are so different. I've been learning that as I've been going, I think. It's, I mean, nowadays, I, I do collaborate with different uh, professions or different friends, I would rather say, that maybe there's a friend of mine who's a very good welder, so he built, he helped me to actually build the machine. Another, uh, he's called Jonas Majors, uh, my welder. Uh, and then my other friend, Jakob Oerman, who is a computer programmer, actually. He's been doing most of the electrical work onto the machines and he's a really good problem solver. So even if he doesn't know how to wire a three-phase kind of strong currency motor, he will look it up and solve it. But in terms of the construction side of it, the drawing of the machines, I've been doing that myself in terms of dimensioning of the metal and directions of the metal and all of those things. I mean, the geometry of machine, basically. And I do that in uh, in a 3D CAD program. So I look at the machine on my screen and try to plan as careful as possible how it will operate, any possible problems that can occur during the process of, uh, of operating the machine. And in this phase of, of my practice, I try to be as calculated and predicting as possible and try to predict what will happen. Uh, and that in contrast to when I'm operating the machine, I really want the process to be as free as possible, so to say. So rather than knowing what will come out of the machine, I want to see something that I've never seen before. Because somehow if I can imagine and predict how the result of what this machine will produce, it feels a little bit like it's uh, it's already done. I mean, if I close my eyes and kind of imagine how this shape that will kind of be generated by the machine looks like, I feel it's a bit too it's too boring basically. So I wanna I I wanna see something that I've never seen or that I could not have imagined. That's the, I think the big differences between those two roles that I have, like this sitting on the desk trying to calculate, make research of different components and try to make a fully functioning machine. And in, when I bring that into my studio, in more of a messy environment, either if it's full of threads and glue, like with my previous machine, with the thread wrap machine, or if it's a space full of dry clay and glazes, etc. I want I want the machine to just uh, surprise me and not not have this calculated result. Yeah, I'm actually just thinking back now, and now that you've mentioned that, when I went to the studio, I remember I was chatting with one of the other guests there and we were just kind of staring at the clay press trying to figure out exactly how it was going to work and what was going to happen. Neither of us had ever seen anything quite like that, I don't think. But I guess now would be the perfect time to chat a little bit more about the installation itself because now that I've seen the finished product of the three pretty imposing columns and it would be great if you could tell us a little bit more about the installation itself. Yes, so I was invited to make an installation basically in the reception and I started thinking about rather than bringing already existing works, I wanted to see if I could flip the whole thing around. So at the opening basically we would start on an empty page and work from there. So I developed a new version of my extruder, so the one that was uh, on display at uh, 100 Bishopsgate was a larger version of my clay extruder that I've been uh, so the other one that I used before 
that it also was a self-built machine. Yeah, it was a smaller diameter, and now I needed to enlarge the size because of the scale of the of the place where we would exhibit the sculptures. So I made a new version of the machine, which was bigger, and I brought a lot of material from a previous exhibition. So that is kind of that was also like something that I wanted to explore: what happens if we somehow embed more memory into the material rather than just going out to the market and buying already existing clay. I wanted to see what, what happened if we actually reuse material from a previous exhibitions of mine. And to be completely fair, it, would, it was a more of a complicated path just to buy the material already in this correct viscosity in the right kind of wetness of the clay would have been obviously much more simpler. But here I wanted to explore the idea of giving almost like soul to the material somehow. Uh, and for this installation, you specifically use materials from another project, hence the name Remnants, I suppose. Yes. So I, like a few years ago, I think it was 2015, I built a large ceramic press uh, that operates basically like a toothpaste. So I put clay inside of it and I squeeze out the clay material. And with the help of that machine, or a new version of that machine, which is slightly larger, it has a diameter of around 50 centimeters, the machine, so that is the limitation of what can be pushed out. With the help of that machine, I have pushed out segments for sculptures, which are, the segments are stacked on top of each other, uh, not very unlike to a classic uh, stacking of a marble or a granite or another stone column but I'm kind of rather than making it into a very smooth transition between the stacks which is maybe the traditional way of doing it I kind of offset them a little bit so that the stacking accentuates the joints and talk a little bit more about how they are made they are actually made in segments and is that because they're so much bigger or exactly they are they're they're much larger than before and I think the transition for me personally when I make objects which are more say 50 70 90 centimeters tall it's something that we as humans can interact with in the way that we are looking at them we can they are they are very heavy but in theory you could actually lift them and you can carry them around uh, so there's another kind of relationship between humans and sculptures but now when the pieces the ones that i did the bishop's gate those pieces are more up to a bit more than two meters high so then they start kind of looking down at us as viewers so there's another kind of this a shift in the relationship between the sculpture and the viewer and for me that kind of uh, that uh, that swap in uh, somehow in the in the power basically so they become architectural they kind of start embracing us rather than the opposite so two columns two sculpture which are taller than humans standing side by side and if you put yourself in between there you are already in a room that those two Kind of generate they're looking down at you somehow the sculptures but also they generate a room in between them three columns four columns there is it's a space that you can walk around in and i guess at this point it's probably worth just describing the columns for our listeners in a little bit more detail and i'm sure we'll have images posted all over our instagram but just in case and for the purposes of i guess the conversation now the the installation consists of six large clay columns which are I guess kind of ribbed in in some way on the outer surface and then painted in varying, I guess, eye-catching colours as well, which I know is particularly striking when positioned in the the main kind of lobby of 100 Bishop's Gate. But I know you've touched on the fact that you kind of reuse the clay, which was originally used for another project of yours. But 
Would you say that maybe the reuse of materials has always been important for you or is this kind of a relatively new exploration of yours? I think this sustainability aspect is something that all of us as human has to think about really. I mean, it's, it's, it's about our survival really, but I think that it comes, uh, it comes naturally somehow as well. I mean, if a material is easy to access, it maybe means that it's actually is a recycled material to kind of generate new products into the world. It's more energy consuming, uh, logistically maybe a bit more complicated. Uh, if you have to dig something out of the ground and all of those things add basically to a lot of other aspects as uh, accessibility, price, all of those things that I hope that the world is going into that direction that is a bit self-regulating, partly political decisions, but also about demand and accessibility of things. Yeah, I think you're you're right there, definitely, because there's a lot of galleries that we work with at Queen's that are definitely approaching us more frequently when it comes to investigating more sustainable ways to kind of move their art around the globe, which is obviously great. And I think even if we look back, you know, just two years ago, there was way less of a conversation going on when it came to sea freight or packing materials, for example. Mm, Exactly. I think that, I mean, there is like this, in behind this, like this consciousness of me of not adding too much new things into the world. But I think partly from that kind of underlaying thinking that's always hopefully in all of us is we are thinking about that in recycling materials from our daily life from the studio etc but it's also i think the the idea of adding soul to the to the material uh, which i think is also a big part of me of choosing to go this path rather than buying new clay basically kind of if this material has been shown before it was shown before at an exhibition in sweden vandalorum uh, in south of sweden and now they are being remade to new clay, new columns in London. And hopefully they will kind of travel along into a next place somewhere in, in the world and just uh, give them a third reincarnation. And I, I like that idea that usually I work with fired ceramic, which will last for forever, basically. Uh, but this kind of installation, the large installation, they are as present and existing as any other type of installation because you can experience them and you can walk among them and and kind of see the colors the shapes the size Uh, and then when this installation is to travel to the next place we can grind them down into new clay and make them again somewhere else i love the idea of kind of each installation carrying with its its own story or, or i guess from its previous life and with that, I suppose you working like this in the pop-up studio format comes with it to an extent. But how have you found working in such public space? I mean, you're constantly being on show with anyone, I guess, that can just drop in or, or watch you through the window even. Yeah, I, I've been doing this a few times now in different type of situation exhibitions, but also production for public art, basically, when I've been working on the construction sites and it's been see me open to the public. But I think that when I think back on this uh, these weeks when I was in London, I, I mean, I sometimes think that this is a crazy idea to pack all the tools and travel somewhere else and then having to deliver at a certain date, etc. There's a big time pressure, stress and anxiety about the result, all of that. But what also happens is that I isolate myself into this bubble of the production. So if I am in my studio, there's thousands of things that need to be done like uh, administration logistics other projects etc but now when i put myself in the position of just uh, leaving my 
my phone basically at the at the locker where I change my clothes to walk into this uh, pop-up studio, I cannot do anything than producing these pieces. So it will give me another type of focus, which I think is is very is very productive. I mean, I have a few other projects coming up now, which are I put myself into this situation again, even if I I know that it's uh, it's it's tough on on, on on all aspects. But I think it's it's very very productive to do that. Uh, thing that during these weeks I have to do this and when the time is out I have to be done. Time is just another parameter as much as the materials, the colors, the shape of my dice. Yeah, time is another another material basically of, that I can work with. So if I have a lot of time it will give a certain result. If I have little time it will give another result and it will not necessarily mean that either or is better or worse than the other one. More time or less time it will just give another expression to the result. That's such a good way of looking at it, I think. And you mentioned a few projects coming up for you. Is there anything that we should be looking out for maybe? I'm preparing for that a bit right now. So I'm going to go to a ceramic factory in in Denmark, which are specialized in large scale uh, sculptures. Ceramic is a little bit tricky outside. I will go there and I will have a limited time. I mean, I've scheduled in between other projects. I will go there, travel with my assistant and we will stay there. And it's in the middle of the countryside. And there we will make works which are similar scale, like the ones I've been doing now just recently in London, but they will be taller and it will be permanent. So it will be one large column for an outdoor installation in, in south of Sweden. Very cool. And just before I forget, for all of our listeners who are based in London and or want to have a look at the Remnants installation that you've just completed, how can they find it? So it's in the lobby of 100 Bishop Gates. So there's, it consists of, if you enter the building from Bishop's Gates to the right, there are the six columns which were made in the pop-up studio. And to the left, there is uh, an installation of already existing works that have been exhibited before. So they are fired ceramics. So it's, it's two, basically two installations. To the left is the fired ceramics. And to the right is the newly produced uh, large columns which are made on site. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I'll definitely encourage everyone to stop by 100 Bishop's Gate if they're ever around central London or, or Liverpool Street even. And again, for those of you that aren't, you can take a look at our Instagram to see the columns that we've been chatting about today. But Anton, thank you very much for chatting with us. It's been fantastic to learn a little bit more about you and your practice. Great. Thank you so much, James, for having me. It's been uh, really nice to talk to you. You too. And That should just about conclude us for the latest episode of Temporary Admission. If you've enjoyed today, make sure to like, subscribe or follow, whichever works for you. And make sure to tune in next week where we'll be chatting all things Venice Biennale. Until then, stay safe, speak soon.